you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to begin at verse 11 this morning, and Lord willing, we'll work our way all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. So for all of those who thought we, we went really slowly through chapter 4 and somewhat of 5, we're really making up some ground now, right? Well, we're going to look at really what is the outcome, if you will, the outcome of what it means to be a church that is reconciled to God. Right? Paul has walked us through a lot of stuff. Um, and I'll touch a little bit on it, but I'm not going to review all of that. That's what usually gets me in trouble and why we can't move forward. I always spend too much time reviewing. But uh, I want to just realize, I want you to realize actually today that uh, Paul is, is really addressing, he's calling something for the church, but it really is you know, what makes a church that has uh, a ministry of reconciliation. It's a church that is separate. I titled my message, Be Separated. Right? Present tense, right now. This is what we are to be. While we're breathing, if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are to be separated from the world. And Paul is going to have that language. We'll read it here in a moment. And I think this is very important, not only for our lives, but for right, a Christian testimony. Uh, Winston Churchill has said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Now, he's not talking about the eternal truth of Christ, but the principle, I think, kind of fits, right? Sometimes we, we bounce into these things, these truths of God's word. We, we begin to see them and hear them. We begin to apply them, but ultimately we just kind of down the road get tired or lazy or whatever it might be, and we cast them aside. But I believe Paul is going to press something for us that there is really no way to follow God and love God without being obedient to God. And this is what the Lord is going to call us to do. We can't separate a profession and, right, the application of his word. So in short, anything that stops, you know, short of practice is what Paul is saying, is in essence not biblical. So he, he unfolds for us what it means, right? This is what it looks like. So it looks like for a church, what it looks like for us. He's addressing saints, so it is a message that we need to take. Of course, it's God's word, but seriously. So beginning in verse 11. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, uh, please follow along. He says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak, to, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Biel? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. In verse 7, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness 
and the fear of God. Let me offer a brief prayer as we begin to unfold and unpack this. Lord, uh, we again ask, upon, uh, ask of you, Lord, to be with us, uh, that your spirit would be with us this morning, teaching us and instructing us and guiding us. Lord, helping us to realize the areas of our own life and the areas of the church where we need to separate. So, Lord, let your spirit uh, teach us and instruct us. Let me get out of the way, Lord, that we would receive what you have for us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Paul left us in verse 10. He ended this, these contrasting statements. But he ended with saying, Yet, uh, even though uh, rejoicing poor, yet making rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Right? So if, if we as followers of Christ, and though Paul is a unique calling as an apostle, and yet we are followers of Jesus, we can honestly say, you know, if, if we have Christ... Right? If he is our Lord and our Savior, what can the world truly give us? Right? Paul has covered a lot of ground, and if you've been here through these messages, you, you've seen this. I mean, Paul's message of reconciliation has been to what? The church. It is a message, of course, for all those outside of Christ, but it is for us to be a church that is reconciled. It is a motivation that should drive us. Right? This is God's word. We are to be close to him. We are to be uh, those who profess this. There's a sense of urgency that Paul impressed upon us. And then we looked at what this ministry requires. Now, this was last Sunday. We saw that we have to reject hypocritical living, right? There's a testimony that has to be with us. We have to say we're, it's not that we're perfect, but there is something seen in us, right? There's an, an allegiance to Christ. There is also a suffering that the church will go through, that members will go through, our brothers and sisters around the globe who are currently suffering. Not as we hear, we haven't experienced yet, but imagine it's coming. We realize that God's Spirit is with us. He gives us graces to endure this. This leads to, as, as I unfolded last Sunday, a righteous testimony, right? Here's, here's the language, right? You see Paul doing this in a church that triumphs and now he comes to say, well, what does a church, this is my question, that triumphs, what does it look like? I mean, that's really what Paul is saying. What does it look like in our lives? What does the ministry of reconciliation, what does this look like? Well, in a short answer here is the word, we're separate. We've separated from the world. We're in the world, not of it. We'll touch on that here in a moment, what that means. But Paul is, speaks to them in a present tense, not past tense. As if we come to believe and at that one moment we were separated. No, he's calling the church currently, presently, actively be separated. This is to, to each soul who professes Christ. Paul is calling these Corinthians, right, to separation. Now that word, I don't know what's running around in your mind this morning, might be a word of dread. Oh, separating. Pastor's going to talk about things that we have to give up or give away or Got to quit doing that. Oh, my goodness. Right? Maybe that's running through your mind. Maybe you're thinking the pastor is saying we never have to have fun again. We never get to have fun. Well, that's not what's going on. There might be some changes, no doubt, in your life. But I believe the, the Christian of all people should be full of joy. The joy of our salvation. Because we look upon this life not in the short term, but eternal. Right? We know this holy God has loved us. And it's the greatest call, right? God has called you. Uh, he has brought you to Calvary. He has brought you to the precious side of Christ, is the, the hymn we have sung. 
So a person uh, who is saved, I believe this wholeheartedly, if you know Christ as your Savior, in a present tense uh, fashion, we can know with assurance that we have God's love and we have it eternally. God the Father will always love God the Son. He'll always eternally love those who are in him. That's a blessed hope, right? We have the word adoption, and he uses this language here. They will be sons and daughters. So what does that look like? What is that we need to see in our own lives? Well, my first point is simply this. A true church, right, meaning a church that is actively preaching, today is the day of salvation, is a ministry of reconciliation, a church that is standing through persecution, a true church, right, will be a loving and submissive to God's word. Well, of course, right? But what does that really mean? Well, Paul says, our mouth, this is verses 11 through 13, has spoken freely to you. Remember, he's an apostle, and Paul is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, writing scripture, right? So we don't do that today. We, we see this as scripture, and we go, okay, what do we need to learn? But he says, I've freely spoken to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us. You're, you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So I just want to quickly point out, you know, through these letters, we have seen really the abuse, right, I think, of, of Paul by these Corinthians, right? Now, not all of them are this way, but in a general sense, as he deals with the problems and situations of this church, we are learning what to do and not to do. Right? We can't be too hard on the Corinthians. It's all brand new. I mean, they were, they were raised in a pagan culture, and all of a sudden, right, here's this message of the gospel. So there's some reorienting and reworking. But no doubt, they, are, uh, they have been rough on Paul, to say the least. And what does Paul say to them? I'm full of love and affection for you. Right? I mean, what, what, here's, here is the drive of Paul. If you remember in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, right, it's before the judgment seat of Christ is compelling him. There's a real genuine fear of God, which he hits at again in this passage. And then we also realize in uh, verse 14 of chapter 5, the love of God controls him. It compels him, and we see it here. Paul is full of love, right, for these Corinthians. He says, oh, Corinthians, he speaks to them as if face to face. There's a deep relationship with them. He says, our mouth has spoken freely. He's open and honest. There's no equivocation. I haven't done the bait and switch on you by no means. My heart is open wide. I'm growing. I'm sharing truth with you. I haven't held back anything from you because he says, I am not restrained, right? You are not restrained by us. There's nothing in Christ that I simply said, that's not important. I have given you everything. Paul's heart is full of love. Love for the church. Where do we get? How do we understand a love for God's church? What's a love for his word? He uses the word heart, and here it's, it's an organ of thought and feeling, and it's open wide. I feel, I love them, and I think, right, well, and understand, and, and the whole picture of salvation. I mean, he has it all running through his mind. You contrast that with this church. The church doesn't show that kind of love, right? They're reading his letters. Some are accepting. Some are rejecting. Some have corrected. He addresses things over and over. We see this. There's a narrow love for the apostle. Some of them have said, well, he's, he's not really a guy that has, you know, or, uh, speaking skills, oratorials. I didn't say it right, so I skipped it. Now I brought it up. Now you all know I can't say that. <clears throat> but he's lacking the power of God, right? He has no power in him. He's only, he only has power in the pen, 
right? They were rejecting him. They've said those kind of things. You have some who are Jewish Christians, right? They were Jews inviting some of these false teachers, probably to lure people away on purpose. Those are the peddlers of the word of God. So here's a simple point, right? If, if we're going to be separate, if we're going to be a church that is, that is distinct, it says, you know, what, what marks us is that we have to be people who are separate from the world, and we cannot do that unless our heart is open, right? And it's open wide to God and His Word. It loves His church. We love the other believers. John touches on that as one of our assurances. We have a love for the brothers and sisters in God's church. See, the reality is I can preach till I'm blue in the face, and I can say, here it is, here's God's word, but if your heart is not open to that, it's not really uh, going to do much for you. Some of you would like to see me preach till I'm blue in the face, maybe, I don't know. But it's like the story of the, the elderly lady of one Sunday after the service, she went up to the pastor and said, this is an outstanding message, just great. Everything you said applies to someone I know. Well, we don't like to hear some things, right? But Paul, look at what Paul says. We are not restraining you, Corinthians. It is you. You are restrained in your own affections. So here's the question. What keeps us from following the Lord? What keeps us from opening his word? What keeps us from hearing things that we don't want to hear? It's us, naturally. See, things like repent, words like sin, right? We don't necessarily like those. It strikes at our pride. Calvary, uh, we've come to Calvary should just simply kill our pride. We've stood there and seen our Savior on a cross. So we have to come and say, well, what does the Bible call sin? I need to start calling that sin. I need to not justify sin or or it's just simply, well, that's, you know, everyone's kind of doing that, or, or whatever it might be. I need to come and say, Lord, your word is true, and it's authority. It's authority in my life. I want to come, and I want to love your word. I want to submit to your word. This is what it means, right? A church that has the ministry of reconciliation, a church that, that is enduring suffering, is a church that is coming and saying, I love God's word. I love his ways. I love his church. Paul's heart is full. They are not responding, not all of them. They are not responding that way. There's two essential things, right, for a church to be this way. A pastor's heart must be open to God, his word, and people. The church's heart must be open to God, his word, and his people. It's us. So to be separate is to be loving and submissive to God's word. It means that we are growing and maturing. Remember Paul in the first letter said, such were some of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there was once, we once were this, we are not that anymore. We have changed. So Paul says, keep going, right? So my second point here this morning is, a church will not be unequally yoked with the world. He's straight to the point, verses 14 through 16. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Biel? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them 
and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, Paul is saying, right, is um, the same thing through all of this, but I'm going to break it out just to grab a few extra things for us to think about and understand in our own lives. And in case we missed it, I mean, Paul is clear here, believers and unbelievers are different, right, isn't he? The first thing out of the box is to say we're not to be unequally yoked. And what does that mean? Well, God uh, forbade the plowing, right, of any field with an ox and a donkey together. The union of two different kinds of animals. He was against and called it sin. So you have this picture of a believer and unbeliever, right, working and trying to work together. I mean, imagine, right, the idea of plowing a field with a, with a ox and a donkey, right? There's the picture we have, and this is what Paul is saying. So we are radically different. We're two different creatures. If you understand, right, there's two, only two races on the planet. It's, today it's, it's uh, you know, just important and, and common for everyone to, to reduce everybody to the color of their skin. The Bible does not do that. It reduces you to a soul, and you're either in Adam as we're born or we're adopted, which is the language of this passage, into Christ. There's only two races, so what do we need to realize here? Well, I have a few sub-points. Let's look at the first one. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, right? We are uh, different in shared purposes. And the point here is that we are not to be intimately involved in a relationship with unbelievers. That's the command, right? Unbelievers rebel against God. They, they live lawless lives by definition. Uh, things that are important to God, his word, are not going to be there. They have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save. They're not seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. They do not hunger for righteousness. That makes for a difficult relationship if you're desiring that. And you're yoked with someone who has none of those desires. Paul says in Ephesians 5.11, Do not participate in the unfaithful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Right? None of them are not supposed to participate, we're to expose. That's, that's the life. Now that's different than those who both have, have been married and, and maybe one has come to believe that's a different situation. We're simply talking to singles and those engaging in those who are not believers. But Paul goes on. Believers are different in relations and associations. He says, what fellowship does light with darkness? Right here is the the mutual relations, the involvement, the word, that's what the word fellowship means. They're not to have associations between light and dark. How can they work together? They can't coexist. I mean, the picture here is that light symbolizes the picture of believers. Right in John chapter 12, verse 36, we are called children of light. You think of Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. And he goes on to tell us to shine your light. On the other hand, darkness is a symbol, right, or a picture of unbelievers. John 3, 20, believers shun the light. Why? Because they don't want their deeds exposed. This is why uh, churches today, it's common for them not to preach on that very thing, because we don't want people to feel bad about their sins. I mean, that's the philosophy here. You see it's completely contrary to Scripture. We're not really loving someone by endorsing them to stay in a sinful state that leads them to eternity in hell. But the point here is we are not to have close to be any type of close partnership with unbelievers. In the world of business or associations, things we get involved with, you have to be very careful. 
Believers know the light, unbelievers do not. Uh, Paul goes on, believers differ in reason, right? we in agreement. We think differently. This is what harmony has Christ with Biel, right? Harmony is to come to an agreement with. Biel just simply refers to another word for Satan, right? Or wickedness or Satan's character. I mean, that's what he's pictured for us. So we have the picture of, of unbelievers is the picture of, right, worldly and Satan. We have the picture of Christ as the leader of believers, Christ stands opposed, of course, to Satan, to Biel. The righteous one stands opposed to the wicked one. The, the worthy one stands opposed to the worthless one. The righteousness of Christ is opposed to the wickedness of Satan. That's the picture. That's easy to understand. So it comes to us to say, well, if you do not know Christ, today is the day of salvation. Because if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're following after Satan. You may not have bowed the knee, but your heart is loyal. So we're not to be attached, right? Not to make a covenant with unbelievers. We have to be very careful. Paul even goes on, right? Uh, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Right? We're just different in faith, right? An unbeliever here is pictured as someone who has rejected Christ, what nothing to do with Christ. See, faith changes a person, right? That's the reality of it. There's the working out of our, of our sanctification, the working out of our, of our uh, salvation. There is the picking up of a cross. There's a life to be led. None of this uh, enters the mind of an unbeliever. They've rejected that, right? The believer believes Christ as Savior. The unbeliever does not. The believer follows Christ, which the unbeliever doesn't, right? We seek to honor Christ, and of course, the unbeliever does not. So we are not to follow, the point being, we're not to follow those or follow a person who has rejected Jesus. It guides us in our thinking. It guides us in a very practical way. And Paul even goes on that we, of course, differ in worship. But what agreement has the temple of God with idols? An agreement here is a close understanding. Uh, maybe the word union or bond of mind and spirit, that kind of idea. Of course, there can be none of this. I mean, idolatry is loathed by God. Why? Because any idol is a substitute for the living God. And we have many, right? Our hearts can be, of course, idol-making machines. We can idolize money, position, power, fame. I mean, it, the list goes on. So we have to be careful in our own hearts, but we're especially to be sure that we don't praise and begin to to covet or desire or worship those things that the world says are good. We have to be careful. The believer is not to be an idolater, right? Only God is good. So Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, for we are not the temple of the living God. Excuse me, for we are, excuse me, the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, why would God be with us if our, we're consumed with the world? Well, that's Paul's reasoning. We do not worship, right? We worship the God alone. So we're not to be unequally yoked. It's really practical sense. And Paul just unfolds that. Even though it seems like he's saying one thing, he folds all these different areas of our own life that we have to be aware of. So a church is loving and submissive to God's word as we learn. Of course, there's other passages that speak to this, but just staying within this context, right? We see this. We're not unequally, or excuse me, uh, we're not to be unequally yoked. 
Next, my third point here is simply uh, a true church will actively separate from the world. Right there, here's an assessment. He says, therefore, here's his uh, conclusion uh, that God is saying, right? Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, we see this running through Paul's thinking. If you think about in verse 3, where we talked about rejecting hypocritical living, right? Um, the ministry, so the ministry will not be discredited. It definitely encompasses that. But here we're more focused on your personal devotion as a member of God's church. Your life, your accountability to God's church, your, your part in being a part of the family of God. Are you currently actively separating from worldliness? Paul grabs some Old Testament passages, right, brings them right in for the New Testament church from Isaiah and 2 Samuel and Chronicles. He references different ones here. And it has to touch on when God led uh, the Israel out of Babylonian captivity. I mean, here, here's the idea. He told them, leave everything behind. Why? They have nothing that would defile them. Their loyalty was completely to God. Paul grabs that picture and he comes in and says, here, here's what you need to do, Corinthians. For us this morning, believers are to come out and be separate. That sounds very simple, isn't it? He says, therefore, come out from their midst to be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So what does that mean? I think a lot of people misinterpret this verse. It does not mean that we leave cities or communities or workplaces. Now you might, depending on what's going on there. It doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from unbelievers. We're, we have a great commission, right? We're to, to, to do evangelism. So clearly that can't be what it means. It does not mean we have, to, um, we have nothing to do with unbelievers. You're an unbeliever, I just shun myself, right? No, it doesn't mean that. We're not to go and start a commune. Let's just build a fence. No one gets in. Some churches treat their actual the body that way we share this world with them right when paul mentions in first corinthians 5 9 through 10 where he says you know uh, cast out the evil person he's talking about a believers and then he corrects it for this so there's no misunderstanding he says i don't talk about those outside of christ because you'd have to leave the world so he's talking about believers and church discipline so we realize we're in the world, we're not to be of the world. So what does it mean for us in a practical sense? Well, it means what he just went through. I mean, definitely, we, wanna, we don't want to be intimately involved in relationships with unbelievers. We don't want to participate in functions with unbelievers. We don't want to be closely bound, right? We have to be careful of these things in our thinking. We don't want to associate with things that would bring right, dishonor to God. We want to we be associated with things that bring glory to God. We don't want to follow after unbelievers. We don't want to get, get caught into or, or anything like that where we find ourselves worshiping anything of the world. So Paul has this practical insight, practical teaching for us. He also stresses the idea that this is what God has said, right? He says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Now, these are two commands. Right? Imperative verbs. God is commanding every believer in their church to come out from the world. You realize that this is radically different than a lot of the philosophy of church today. The church today says we should imbibe the world to win the world. Paul is saying you should come out from the world and be separate. 
So God is saying, stop living like sinners of the world. Start, stop participating in the sins of unbelievers. Believers are to grow in their faith. We are to mature in our faith. This is why God has given the church pastors and teachers. So God commands this, right? And the command is not to be questioned. We're not to rationalize this away. We're not to simply ignore it or twist it or let it suffer, right? A thousand qualifications. Well, that's, you know, that's for those, that's for that time or whatever it might be. No, it's, it's simply brought in. We can't go, well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor. That's what, you know, that was the Israelites. Well, thanks be to God that Paul grabbed that as an apostle writing scripture and placed it right here for us. He is using that to say, this is what God wants. Be separate. Separation is so important to God that it is one of the essentials to be re- being received by God. I mean, listen to what he says in uh, verse 18, right? This is the phenomenal blessing, right? And he says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Our separation, right, unleashes, if you will, God's promises. What does he do? He says, I will receive you. God accepts, God uh, redeems, God cleanses through Christ, right? This is all the blessings. And the point simply is this. If we're not separating from the world, God is not actively receiving his church. He's not asking, asking for perfection in the sense that we are sinless, but he is asking that we would be serious about sin and be, have a direction for our lives. So if we come and we have a heart of repentance, a heart that says, this is sin, Lord, help me. Uh, by your spirit, Lord, work me through and shape my life and be faithful and lead me. And those moments that I come and I sin and I cast uh, those sins down, I ask for forgiveness, I trust in him. We're working out sanctification. God is well pleased with our hearts when we are doing that. He says, this is a church. I will receive this church. He goes on and talks about the spiritual blessing. He adopts us. Let me ask you this question. Does God owe us anything? He doesn't. Pause for a moment and think about that. Sometimes we think, God, you owe me. Yep, he created you, gives you life and breath every day. And I always tell people, if you have breath today and you don't know Christ, it's God's mercy to you. We have today have a chance to repent. But look at the word adoption. God doesn't call you by your past sins. God doesn't identify you with your resources. He calls you sons and daughters. You're part of the family of God. Christ now is the elder brother. This is what he does. God nurtures us. God loves us. God cares for us. He instructs us. He provides for us. He protects us. He rewards us. He delivers us. He guides us. He directs us. Right? He disciplines us. This is who he is. This is a heavenly father. No, don't attach. If you have uh, a an earthly father that has been hard and difficult, please don't attach that to who God is. He is good in all his ways. John says in John 1.12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So we are to actively separate. This is God's command, right? We are to turn away from the world. And my last point is simply this. We are to actively pursue godliness. My last point, I didn't say a true church, I say a true Christian. To make it a little bit more personal, even though he's writing to the church, he's addressing saints. And this is chapter 7, verse 1. It says, therefore, having these promises. 
right? Having these, you, me, we have these promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilements of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So just as he calls the Corinthians to come out from them, now he calls them to actively pursue holiness in the fear of God. There's a turning away. That's good. That's not everything. There's a turning to, right? Away and to. Today, many Christians, professing Christians, want really the byproducts, right, of a relationship with God without the relationship. Maybe if you experience this in your own life, right? We, we want forgiveness without repentance. And we want salvation without submission. We want blessings without obedience or acknowledgement. We want the hope of heaven without any life change. I think that's the classic, I want my cake and eat it too. But this is a call for every believer, right? Cleanse yourself. Perfect holiness. You realize there's no neutrality here. There's, there's either we're doing it or you're not language here. I love this quote from Greg Banson. He says, neutrality erases the Christian's distinctiveness. You're right. And what is Paul calling us to, right? Come out. He goes on and says, neutrality is impossible. He says, it destroys knowledge and is immoral. Yeah, what are we doing when we, when we don't actively do this? Because there's no neutrality. We're either accepting Christ, we're either trusting Christ, we're either re- pressing into Christ or we're... we're rejecting him because the the opposite is also true right we turn from the world we embrace and follow after christ if we're turning to the world well we must be rejecting christ there's no neutrality but yet god says here's these promises i'll receive you i mean god is true to his word we know we pray his purpose his plan he hears you it calls you sons and daughters, right? So God expects us to cleanse ourselves. He expects us to have a heart of repentance. He expects us to be serious about these things. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Paul is consistent. What is he saying? God God expects this of us. Have a heart of repentance. God also expects us to be perfecting holiness, growing in him. The motivation is is the fear of God. That doesn't mean we we fear him as though he's going to strike us down. No, we fear him with reverence, with aweness of who God is. Perfecting here, the word really means it's a, a demanding, aggressive action. I think that has to be written this way. The Holy Spirit is right. That sounds funny for me to say that, right? The uh, Holy Spirit's correct here, uh, writing through Paul, but it has to be because we don't naturally do these things. We need the Spirit's power. John Owen said, be killing sin or we'll be killing you. That's the reality of it. Right? We're to work out our salvation, actively pursuing godliness, pursuing holiness, or to do this aggressively. 
This is why we need accountability. This is why we need brothers and sisters in the faith. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. That happens in glory, right? But we keep moving forward. Our mind, our heart is open to God's word. We're, we're working out the details of our lives. We're working through some of the changes we have to be, some of the things we just have to work through. We trust God, but our motive is holiness and reverence to who God is. So the question for each of us is, do we know God? Do we know him according to his word? Do we know that God does not change? Do you know that God's truth is always the same? Do you know that he's awesome in all his ways? He's pure. Do you realize there's going to be no loopholes, no Achilles heel, no moment of standing before that judgment seat and saying, oh, but I, you know, there's a, a loophole I found over here. No, there's none of that. There is just this loyalty to Christ, to allegiance to Christ. There is a, re- a rejection and a separation. There is this pursuit of holiness, and the Lord knows that we need his spirit. I believe if we begin to really truly know who God is, the more you study his word, the less we will fear mankind. The less we will fear will keep us, it won't keep us rather, from evangelism. See, we're not to be consumers of the culture. We're to call it what it is. Some of this may mean simply, hey, I start, stop watching some of the shows I'm watching. I always tell, uh, I've told my sons, hey, if the movie's bad, get up and walk out, right? That's, that's the reality of it. You do have power over the remote. Turn it off. It might be as simple as that. It might be bigger decisions that have to be made. But the reality is, how do we know? Like The question this morning is, how do I know? If you're asking that this morning, how do I know I'm growing in holiness? How do I know the, the Spirit is at work in me? What a great question. I'm glad you asked that. See, the, the, the reality is sin never changes. So if you have a sense in your own life, that things that once were, were lovely to you now have become loathsome. They become something you reject or something you're sorrowful over. If you have moments where once you had pleasure in that, but you go, man, that's sin, I, I no longer, I once was that, I'm no longer that. Well, then I want you to realize that sin hasn't changed, you have. That's the work of God's Spirit. When things start to bother you, When you start to crave God, we want justice, Lord. We want what is righteous and true. Sin still is sin. It's all around us. It's in our world. Sin hasn't changed. What is happening in you is that God is changing you. You are becoming more holy. You are becoming more like sons and daughters who are useful for the king. And this is what uh, Paul is saying to his church. It's what God is saying to his church, right? Love his word. Seek him out. Take seriously your relationships. Don't be unequally yoked. Trust the Lord in all these. Actively separate from the worldliness. The things you begin to see as you mature and grow, begin to say no to those things, but yet the other side of it, begin to say yes to what is holy. That's how we do this. See, God has given us grace to believe, right? His spirit is at work. He will give you grace. The spirit is at work for you to live a holy life. It may mean some relationships change. It may mean situations change, but trust him. Become useful. Christianity refuses to be proved first and practiced afterwards, right? It goes together. It's practices hand in hand. I profess Christ. I follow after him. Are you sensing, right, God's grace? Are you leaning upon his mercy? Are you trusting and asking, God, help me to live out this faith? 
and you're in the right place. Don't stumble over the truth this morning and simply say, well, that's for somebody else. Don't simply say, well, that's a good message, Pastor. I know a bunch of people who could really need to hear that. You yourself, right? Be separated. We're going to close here with a song we sang, you know, the simple hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. But I, I wanted to reshare just the story behind this hymn. You know, it's written really as a confession. The hymn is not simply, hey, I, I, have, I have to make this decision. The hymn is saying, I'm going to live my life because that is done. I, I am separated from the world. The story behind it is the story of missionaries going and sharing the gospel to some tribes with lots of opposition, very little, very little fruit coming from their labor. There was one gentleman, Nok Singh, who was his name, and him and his wife and his two kids come, came to believe. And after that, the missionary had, had returned to the States or wherever they were from, it didn't say, but um, the result is what naturally happens from a believer. They started sharing with others this Jesus. The chief of the tribe started hearing of this, was very displeased, did not like this, right? And so he called this family to him and asked him about it, and his response was, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I've been separated. He was outraged at this, and so he ordered the murder of his two sons in front of him. And then was asked the question to recant. Simply said, the world is behind me, right? Christ is before me. They then murdered his wife in front of him, and his response was, though no one joins me, still I will follow the words of this confession. And then they asked him to recant one more time, the loss of his own life and responded the cross is before me there's nothing the world can give and of course they killed him take that story and we see that that was right his by the power of God's spirit the suffering him and his family endured this is not uncommon in our world throughout history even happening today but as the missionary returned he was shocked to see a radical change in the lives of this tribe. The chief now is full of questions, having a heart to know who is this Christ? Who is this man called Jesus? Who is this Jesus that he would watch his sons, his wife, and then ultimately surrender his life? Who is this man? chief and of course all those who follow become believers that's what the world needs now is you know from the church is a bunch of people who are separated not imbibing the culture standing against it not realizing that we're not, we're not simply saying hey we're going to start a commune but no we're, we're here 
the world needs is your personal holiness. The church needs is your personal holiness. We, all of us, need to be separate. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that as we open your word and hear your words, it challenges each and every one of us. And what a call, Lord, you've, you've called us to, to come out from among them, to be separate. It was not just for the Israelites and following the Babylonian captivity. That is for your church today. That is Paul's message to the Corinthians. It is a message to us, a ministry of reconciliation that we're involved in to see others come to know you, but it is also us. We know that this message is, is mercy. It is love. It is your, your, your message. Forgiveness is only in you and because of you. And I know, Lord, for some of us this morning who might be going through some hardships and difficulties, maybe wondering, I pray you make us mindful of your presence that we would realize, Lord, this is not all there is. You might, have, might call us to suffer. You might call us, Lord, to a righteous testimony through suffering. And we might experience hardships and, and rejection when we stand Lord, and pursue holiness. When we begin to, to stop using language that is uh, Lord, not right, when we stop some, maybe some relationships that are, that are just, uh, Lord, unrighteous. When we stand, Lord, and actively pursue holiness, Lord, we will look different. There will be rejection. But throughout your word, Lord, we do not see Paul stopping but continuing to preach continuing to teach digging harder in the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus we see this as a call Lord to your church and to us this morning I pray for each soul here that Lord, our heart would be open wide to your word and that Lord you would instruct us the practical Lord the practical elements of being separate thinking different, living different. Not for our sake, Lord, but for your glory. Let that be our motive, your glory, that we would be bold, Lord, for usefulness, that we would be received and Lord, adopted, that we would walk as sons and daughters of the King, not yielding to the, to the world and not understanding that when we yield to the world, we are rejecting that title. Let us live, Lord, as sons and, and daughters. Guide us that way, I pray. And let this be a message, Lord, that that's sways on our hearts and, and stays in front of us. And Lord, those moments of compromise, I pray for your spirit to just um, make us mindful. Lord, aid us, help us, abide with us, hold us fast, bring us right back, Lord. Every, every moment and every time we pray and repent, bring us to the bleeding side of our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.